Jesus was this incredible storyteller. He had this way of captivating his audience no matter where he was. He told stories. He would know where people were and he would know where people could be. And he would tell stories to kind of help them along the way. I mean, sometimes he would have thousands of people all around him, leaning in, hanging on every word he said. I heard somebody say one time that if Jesus was walking around doing ministry in today's time like he was back then, he would probably be a filmmaker. He would tell stories through film. You ever watched a really good movie? You ever watched a movie that just spoke to your soul? Great movies do this. Great movies have this way of seeing yourself in the struggle, seeing your story in there. And great movies have this way of leading you to change. If you've ever watched Jaws, maybe it took you a little longer to go back into the water. And that's what great stories do. And that's what Jesus did. He did it through his stories. And there's this one time Jesus is talking to this group of people and this guy gets up and he, he asks Jesus this question. And it's an ordinary question, no harm, no foul. But when you look at Luke's eyewitness account of this encounter, you realize that this wasn't just anybody. This isn't, wasn't just any ordinary person listening to Jesus. This man was an expert in the law. And more specifically, he was an expert in the law of Moses. And he gets up and he asks Jesus this question, which asking a question in and of itself is innocent enough. It's not that big of a deal. But Luke goes on to tell us about this man and how his intentions were not just to learn. His intentions were to catch Jesus slipping to catch Jesus up, to trip him up, to play gotcha with Jesus. And he asked Jesus this question. And this came from a man who claimed to be spiritual, which by the way, just because somebody says that they're spiritual doesn't necessarily mean that they they walk with Jesus. I mean, after all, even demons claim to be spiritual. So you have this expert in religion. This guy was an expert in the law of Moses. He knew it all. And he asked Jesus this question. And Luke tells us he asked us the question. He asked Jesus the question to try to slip Jesus up, try to catch him, try to get him to contradict his word. And he asked Jesus this really simple question. And the question is, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Like, what do I need to do to get the salvation you talk about? And he asked Jesus that question, and on the surface, it's a really, really innocent question, but it actually goes deeper than that. And tensions begin to rise in this moment, because on the one hand, you have this rabbi, this expert in the law, who knows the law of Moses, knows the Torah, knows everything that came before. And then on the other hand, you have this new rabbi, Jesus. And Jesus was really... um, Jesus really started gaining this reputation of challenging the status quo. His teachings were not only provocative, they were, they, man, they had a way of challenging the way people thought. And he still does that today. And so on the one hand, you've got this expert in the law, and the other person you have, on the other hand, you have this radical 
new rabbi, this new teacher, Jesus. And so things are getting really tense in this moment, but not in the tense that you would think. It's actually kind of really way under the surface tense. The kind of passive aggressive tense, the things could pop off at any moment kind of tense. And so here's this moment. And Jesus answers this question, but he does it in typical radical Jesus fashion. And he answers his question with another question. He asks the man, he says, well, what is, what is, what does the word of God say? How do you read it? Is what he says. And it's really interesting in this moment because Jesus asked this man who, this man already knew the answer to the question he asked Jesus. The intent was not to learn how to gain eternal life. He had already, he already read that. What he was asking was to try to trip Jesus up. And so Jesus just asked him, hey, you know the, you know, you know, you know the word of God. What does it say? And so the man responds back to him. And he says this amazing piece of scripture found in Luke. He says, well, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he says, and then love thy neighbor as yourself. And he asks that question. And in that moment, Jesus responds to him and says, okay, go, go and do that. And you would think that moment would end right there, but it doesn't because this expert in the law, this expert in the religion of his day, he claps back at Jesus. And he asks this question, he asks a follow-up question, and this is when things start to get real. He asks Jesus, he says, he asks Jesus this four-word four question. It's only four words. And it's this big question, but the question he asks Jesus then is a question that if we're being honest with each other, we still get tripped up on today. And on the surface, it's a really simple question. But to actually live it out, it really cuts way deeper to our heart. And the question forwards, who is my neighbor? So just four words, four words. It was a big question. That question was, who is my neighbor? He asked this big question and it was a big question back then and it's still a big question today. Who is my neighbor? And they struggled with that back then, 2000 years ago. And the question they struggled with and wrestled with back then and tried to trip Jesus up on back then, it's the same question we still struggle with today. Who is my neighbor? And if you're wondering, like, how do you know we struggle with that question? It's because I have Facebook (laughs) and you probably do too. And it's never been more obvious 
in history. Like, who is your friend? Who is your enemy? Who is your ally? Who is your adversary? Like, that's, it's so black and white today. Do they agree with my point of view? Is it my political party? Like, do we align? Those things are so divisive. We've never lived in a more divisive time to where we are so faced every day with that question of who is my neighbor? And Jesus didn't shy away from that question. He wasn't scared of the mess that that question would cause, right? He embraced it. He leaned into the mess. And he answered that question and he did it in this really compelling way. He told this story. And he starts this story in Luke chapter 10 and he begins to tell from, about this man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he mentions that this man was walking along the road and he was beaten, he was robbed, and he was left for dead. And this road was no ordinary road that he's telling about. And in fact, Dr. Martin Luther King in his famous speech, I've been to the mountaintop, began to describe this road. So the day before his death, he delivers this speech. And Dr. King says, man, I've, I've been to Jerusalem. And he goes, I, I remember going there with my wife and traveling that road. He said, you start at about 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get to Jericho, you're about 2,200 feet below sea level. And he and Dr. King describes the road as winding and turning. He says it was ideal for an ambush. And the people that Jesus was speaking to in that moment, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They were really familiar with that road. And in fact, they knew that road by a different name, the name that they all called that road, that 17 mile journey, they called it the way of blood. Because the idea that a traveler would get beaten up and left for dead in that moment wasn't a shock. It didn't surprise anybody. And so Jesus begins to tell this story and then he goes a step further and he says, and while the man is on the side of the road and he's laying there lifeless, left for dead, he says, these three men begin to pass him by. And first, there was a priest that walked by and didn't do anything. And after that, there was a Levite who passed by and didn't do anything. And then the third person walks by, but this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus, in, in Luke's eyewitness account of the storytelling, Jesus begins to talk about this Samaritan. And he says that this Samaritan stopped and this Samaritan took care of this man and showed him compassion. So you have this priest, this Levite, and this Samaritan. And it sounds like the beginning of a really bad joke, but instead of walking into a bar, 
they pass this man on the side of the road who's been robbed, beaten up, and left for dead. And I think it's important that we know a little bit about these guys. So first you have this, this first you have this priest. He was this expert in not only the law, but he was this religious scholar. Like he knew everything about the art of worshiping God. And then next you have this Levite who was this Jewish male who came from uh, the, the tribe of Levi. And they were all in charge of the worship of God. And so you have these two really religious scholars. These people, like if anyone was like schooled in the art of compassion, it should have been these two guys. But they, they don't stop. They keep moving. And it's so interesting to me when I read this, because if anybody should have known to stop, it were these guys, and different theologians have different theories on why they didn't stop. But I think sometimes our actions speak louder than our theories, speak louder than our ideas. And so then you have this third man who was a Samaritan. And this is when things get really interesting, because you need to understand the divide, the chasm, that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. These two groups of people could not be more like opposed. You see, they, they would destroy each other's temples. They had really bad rap. They had really like, they, there was a lot of heat going on between these two groups of people. They could not agree on anything. And the idea of a Samaritan really upset the Jews. And the idea of the Jews really upset the Samaritans. They could not be more divided. Now, why does that sound familiar? See, Jesus could have retold this story today. And maybe instead of Jews and Samaritans, maybe he would have used Democrats and Republicans. This group was so divided. And the idea that it's a Samaritan. And remember, in this moment, Jesus is speaking like predominantly to Jews in the audience. And he says, it wasn't these, these Jewish scholars that stopped. No, they passed him by. And remember who Jesus is actually talking to in this story. Remember, he's talking to the man who was an expert in the law. And he says, people that were just like you, like they didn't stop to help the man. It was this Samaritan. It was this person who your people deemed unclean and unrighteous the 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 person your people could not see eye to eye with and yet it's the Samaritan who stops and not only does he stop like he goes the extra mile and in Luke's eyewitness account of all of this in chapter 10 uh, of Luke's Luke's gospel verse 33 Jesus begins to describe the way the Samaritan showed compassion to this man. Not only did he like stop, he bandaged his wounds. He put oil and he put wine like on this man. He really did everything he could. He took this man, he put him on his own animal and he walked him to this, this inn, this caretaker. And he spent two denarii, which in the equivalent of today's currency, you're talking about two months worth of income to help and to rescue and to show compassion to this man who did not look anything like him, yet he showed him compassion anyway. And he answers this really big question in this moment. See, Jesus was this radical, radical storyteller. It's what he did. It was so thought-provoking. It led people 
to change. And this story was no different. incredible story and in true poetic fashion Jesus ends the story the same way it began with a question and that question is who is my neighbor such a powerful powerful thought and he asked the man you remember the expert of the law the religious expert who's trying to trip Jesus up at the beginning of the story. Jesus asks him, after he tells this parable, after he tells this story, he asks the man, he goes, so, so which of the three is his neighbor? And the man doesn't really know what to say. And so he responds to Jesus in the only way he can. And he tells him, he says, it's the one who showed the man compassion. Jesus says, that sounds pretty good to me. Go and do that. And that question is so big, isn't it? So who is my neighbor? And Jesus, through this story, answers the question. And, and it's the one who shows compassion. And so... When you, when you ask that question, when we ask that question, so who is my neighbor? Jesus is so clear in his word and he says, your neighbor is the one who needs you. Your neighbor is the one that needs your hand, that needs you to stop and to not pass them by. So is my neighbor my co-worker? Is it my sister? Is it my physical next door neighbor? Is it my enemy? And Jesus says, your neighbor is the one who needs you. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds like this great feel-good statement to say, just be there for people that need you, but what does that really look like? And especially in today's world, what does that really mean to, to be someone's neighbor? And I would leave you with this thought. And it's the same thing Jesus said to the man. He says, go and do that. Go and show compassion. And so what that looks like is the next time you're walking by and you see someone in need you show them compassion you meet the need and you rise above every reason not to to do to do so you rise above political parties against friend groups 
You rise above social status. You rise above religion. And you just show compassion to the person that needs it. I love that story. It's one of my favorite stories ever. Jesus told such incredible stories and this one was no different. He leaves us with this thought and that's to go and to be a good neighbor and to show compassion to the one who needs you. Now before I I get up and leave, I really want to talk to you about something important. And that's your soul. Because you're watching this and The truth is, no matter where you are watching this, at one moment or another, you will take your last breath here on earth. And at that moment, all that matters is what you believed about God. Because the truth is, all of us will take our last breath, and God's word is so clear that all of us will spend eternity somewhere. And if you've never heard how much Jesus loves you, Spare me a couple more moments and let me tell you. You see, the truth is God loves you so much that He bridged this gap called sin. And sin is anything that we do that's not pleasing or not honoring to God. Any lie you've ever told, anything you've ever stolen, any moment you worshiped anything else besides God. And God says that there's a punishment for that sin. There's a price to pay for that sin. And and God says you will pay that price. And that price is eternity without God. That's eternity in a place that he talks about in his word time and time and time again. And that place is called hell. And that would be a really terrible place to end the story. But that's not where the story ends. In fact, God loves you so much. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, at your very worst, that's who God loved and paid the price for. And He paid the price in a really big way because it was a price that you and I couldn't pay. And so in His ultimate love for us, He sends His only Son, Jesus, to walk on this earth for 33 years and He lived a sinless life. And then he willingly laid down his life for you and for me. And that if we will put our hope, our faith, and our trust in him to be our Lord and our Savior, God's word is so clear about this that we will have eternal life. And if you've never done that before, I want to give you that opportunity to repent from your sin and to turn and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, before I give you that opportunity, opportunity let me say a couple of things God doesn't automatically magically make your life all fairy tales and roses in fact God's word is really clear about about that but he promises that you will never walk alone and so if you've never given your life to Jesus I want to give you that opportunity and so wherever you're watching from whether it's in your home whether it's on a train a plane Wherever you're watching from today, I want to give you that opportunity. And so if you'll pray a prayer with me, and again, you're not praying to me. I promise you I'm nothing special. 
but I want to lead you in this prayer. And together, we're going to pray to God, and, and, and maybe those of you have already prayed this prayer. You want to say it next to somebody who's praying it for the very first time to support them and to be a good neighbor to them. So if that's you, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart right now, I beg you, do not reject His calling. And if that's you, I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, Dear Jesus, I love you. I know I've messed up. I know I've made mistakes. I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I believe that you died for my sins. Jesus, I confess you are Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my heart. Take away my sin and teach me how to live. I trust you, Jesus. I accept you, Jesus. I accept your love and all that comes with it. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If that was you, we are so, so proud of you. There's a number I want you to text and let us know that Jesus made you new. We would love nothing more than here at Momentum Church to connect with you, to celebrate with you, and to put resources in your hands that are going to help you on your journey of following Jesus. Love you guys.